Good morning, Cornerstone. How are you today? It's been a big week. We've got a lot of changes going on. Lifting of the mask mandate for some, bummer, for some, exciting. We're not going to cheer either way. I'm just going to leave that alone. Next week when Brian's back, he has some news, but I think it's going to take him about a month and a half to regain consciousness from the state wrestling tournament, but that's not mine to share. That's his. It was the first time I've ever gone to something like that. That was an experience. I'm going to be getting some prayer after the service for... Uh, Got some things I need to, to wrestle with the Lord with. So, but good morning. My name is Aaron Wardle. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege to kick off a new series that we're doing here at Cornerstone called There is a River. And this comes from just a little bit down from the passage we've been talking about in Psalm 46, 4, where it says, There is a river that makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And isn't that a beautiful image? One river with many streams that bring joy and life and peace and strength and direction to the people of God. This image has been incredibly helpful for us here at Cornerstone because I don't know if you would agree, but sometimes when people ask, well, what is your church like? That can be a difficult thing to explain. It usually starts with something like this. Well, our founding pastor is Jewish. And then it goes, and we were given a building by the Southern Baptists. And we have an evangelical lead pastor, and we have a worship pastor who is a mutt, and he's actually an ordained brother and minister and comes from a charismatic tradition. We pray for the sick. We celebrate the Jewish feasts. We also practice things like Lectio Divina. We have a high view of Scripture, and we want to change the world through Tacoma Lam, where we believe that we are to bring a blessing and to mend the world. And sometimes it's really hard to explain Cornerstone. But when we're able to use this language of one river that flows from Jesus, that flows from the throne of God in many streams, it's really helpful. And so what we're going to be doing for these next weeks is we're going to be talking about the streams. And that is language that's been coined in Richard Foster's seminal book, Streams of Living Water. And what we mean by streams is more than a metaphor, but it's a way to guide our culture. And this is our definition and it's a fluid definition because it's dealing with streams. Get it? Uh, so much more laughter when you don't have your masks on. You guys are just easy now. What we mean by streams are historical traditions of faith that emphasize unique characteristics of the life lived following Jesus. Let me read that again. A stream is a historic tradition of faith that emphasizes a unique characteristic of the life lived following Jesus. And over the 2,000 years of church history and reaching back all the way into the Jewish traditions, we see that there's a variety of different traditions and streams that have showed us how we are to live the life of faith. And at Cornerstone, one of the things we want to do is we don't want to dam those up, but we want to allow them to flow through to guide us and to lead us and to lead us into an incredibly big and beautiful image of the living God. Richard Foster explains, explains streams this way. Jesus gave us a complete picture of God and demonstrated how we experience vitality and fullness in our life with God. 
The historical church, despite all its divisions and differences, has upheld these core characteristics of Christ's life through what we now call traditions. Taken together, these traditions help us to envision a balanced spiritual life. Isn't that beautiful? A balanced spiritual life. How many times have we looked back or now and we look at certain traditions or streams that go to the extreme and are not balanced by other things and we see them run awry? But when we hold these things together, it helps keep us in balance. And we've leaned really heavily, heavily on the scholarship of Richard Foster. And he has seven, six different streams. And because we're Cornerstone, we added a seventh. The first one, and this is what I'll be talking about today, is the word-centered life, the evangelical stream. The next is the sacramental life, the incarnational stream. The spirit-empowered life, the charismatic stream. The virtuous life, the holiness stream. The prayerful life, the contemplative stream. Compassionate life, the justice stream. And the seamless life, that Gene may change the title to when it's his sermon, The Messianic Stream. But each one of these seven help guide and explain who we are. And we want these things to flow from Jesus through a variety of different places in which we can experience life and peace and joy. So today I'm gonna to share about the word-centered life. We're gonna talk about the evangelical stream. Before that, will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are here, and we are grateful. We ask, Lord, that you'll open our eyes and our hearts, that we will be able to glean from the traditions and those who've gone before us, and that we will stand on their shoulders, and that we will see you more clearly, and that we will live for your glory and the good of others. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the 1950s, the religious historian George Marston was asked, well, what is an evangelical? And he said, anyone who likes Billy Graham. <laughs> Later on, they asked Billy Graham, what is an evangelical? And he said, you know what? That's a great question. I'd like to ask someone myself. And so evangelical is something that is very hard to explain, and it really depends on who you're talking to. In the Atlantic Magazine, it says if you're Asking a pollster, an evangelical, is a sociological term. If you're asking a pastor, it's a denomination or a doctrine. And you're asking a politician, well, that's a voting block. But the term evangelical can mean a lot of different things. But if we go to the root and the idea of what it is, the root meaning of evangelical comes from the Greek word evangelion. And it means good news. And so at the heart of this movement that flows from Jesus is the good news of who Jesus is, all that he does, and all that he promises to do. If you forget everything I say today, Cornerstone wants to be a place where the rushing waters of a movement that allows the good news of Jesus to flow through in and through us, that's what we want to be about. But I still have 25 minutes. But it's a confusing term. 
Foster once again says it's a movement centered on God's great message to humanity that all can be redeemed and restored to its intended design. In this message embodied in Jesus himself, it is rooted in the word and ultimately expressed through the lives of those who follow Christ. It is a living tale of grace spoken in and through words of actions. In a moment, we're gonna walk through some of the history of the evangelical movement, the word-centered movement, and why we believe it's important. But there are four distinctives that have been at the core, regardless of what happens, regardless if the stream has run aground, regardless if it has been hijacked by political movements, regardless if it is reaction to academics, there have been four distinctives that have been at the core of this movement to help people follow Jesus. And the first one is a fancy word, Biblicalism. And everyone in academia knows if you just put ism at the end of something, it means it's true. But biblicalism, it's a high regard for in the obedience to the Bible as the ultimate authority. The word-centered tradition, the evangelical tradition has a high view of scripture, believing that it is the aspired authoritative word of God, that it guards, grounds, and guides our lives. The next thing is, we even get a nice bigger word, crucicentrism, which is something I'm thinking about getting tattooed right across here. I think that'd just be great. <laughs> crucicentrism, it is the stress on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as making possible the redemption of humanity. The word-centered movement, the evangelical stream has its core, the centrality of the cross, that as Jesus lived the perfect life he goes to the cross, he dies a sacrificial death, he atones for the sins of humanity, that as we accept that, we are able to enter into relationship with God, that there is a centrality to the cross, that there is the authority of scripture. Then we move to the next thing, that in this movement, historically, it has had a high view of conversionism. And what that means is that you may have a, you may have a, experience of being born again, a personal relationship with God, just like Jesus said that you could have, and that in when encountering his presence, his power, his truth, his love, and his mystery, that you are actually a born new, that you are a new creation, and that his spirit, as you collide with Jesus, begins to dwell in you, and that there is a spiritual change that occurs. Does that make sense? That's at the core of the evangelical tradition. And the final is activism. And this is the expression and the demonstration of the gospel in missionary and social reform efforts. What this means is that as you encounter this message of the good news, you begin to be transformed by it. You begin to speak it and live it out in words and deeds. Four distinctives of the evangelical tradition. These are things that we want at Cornerstone to be at the bedrock. We wanna wade in these streams and allow it to flow through us. But as I say in the beginning, that it really depends on who you talk to about the evangelical movement, whether you are a card-carrying member of the Association of Evangelicals or whether you want nothing to do with that tradition, it has had a very interesting history, would you not say? So let's go on a little journey, will you with me? So the, 
the beginning of this movement find its, finds its roots. Actually, Luther, when he was talking about the non-Catholic churches after um, the Protestant Reformation, Reformation in the 1500s, he used this term, evangelion, good news, to describe the non-Catholic churches. But we really don't find its roots till about 200 years later with the radical preaching of some wild guys from Great Britain who came to the United States, the revivalists, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley. And these individuals burst on the scene and they began to preach a message of a conversion when colliding with the presence, power, truth, and love of Jesus that your life could be absolutely different. And that there would be this salvation that reconciled you to God. And they began to preach this in such a way that lives were so transformed that these people were set on fire to go change the world. And at the core of their message was what? The Bible, the cross, conversion, and action. And this movement began to take root throughout Great Britain and also into the United States. And as the movement moved from the mid and late 1700s and it moved into 1800s, one of the things is this movement of the revivalists or the evangelicals or the fundamentalists, it just depends on what name you want to use because they were intertwined. One of the things that they began to do is respond to an absolutely changing world. In the 1800s, they have a mass amounts of change that are going on that the evangelicals that are trying to speak to. And one of the things that they are doing is they're speaking to this new exploration into North America. You have a whole new area where people are moving to, this frontier. You also have widespread secularism, this loss of religious influence or religious belief. You also have bursting onto the scene the beginnings of evolutionary thinking in geology and biology and politics, politics and social sciences. And so the origin of humanity is beginning to be questioned by science, which is going against what has been the prevailing view of creation. And the evangelical preachers at the time and the scholars are trying to point in a direction to say, hey, this is moving in a direction that we don't want to go. And another thing that they were trying to address was mass literacy. Um, you, you now have at this time, you have mass literacy. People now can read for themselves. They're not just being told what to do. That's a beautiful thing. But also, simultaneously, you have the beginnings of mass media. And so the information that is getting out whole bunch of new ideas. Some beautiful, some dangerous. Industrialization. You also have a schism that began to happen in the higher education institutions that were training pastoral leadership and training Christians because they began to move away from teaching the authority of scripture and the divinity and humanity of Jesus and they began to move to a more liberal theology. And so the evangelicals, at this time, began to move on the scene and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're moving away for some of the things that are not just tried and true, but that are foundational. And so they began to speak to this. And there were two different models in which they would do this. Many tried to infiltrate and stay a part of groups. So they would stay a part of mainline denominations. They would stay a part of mainline uh, universities. And this lasted for about 30 years. 
One thing's with human history, and I'll be moving quickly through this, is when you don't see results for a while, people begin to take extreme measures. So the evangelicals began to take more extreme measures. And instead of staying connected to be a part of something, they began to separate. And another group began to be so far that they referred to themselves as militant. And that their passion was fueled by the anger by what was going on. One of the things that's a little bit sad is they were more against things than they were for things. And some of their message was being against the things of culture instead of being for the cause of Jesus. And so we see how that moves. Throughout the 1900s, this movement centered on these four things in the United States began to get more and more and more popular. Through the 1950s and 60s, the guy that I referred to, Billy Graham, had these crusades, and the popularity of this movement got national recognition. He would have crusades with thousands of people. He became the friend of presidents. He became involved in many different circles, and it got so much that after him, that the evangelical movement in the United States became so popular that Gallup, uh, the Gallup polls and Newsweek magazine in 1976 declared 1976 the year of the evangelical on the front page of a popular American magazine. And so you have this popular thing that is happening, and you have Jimmy Carter who said, I'm a born-again evangelical Southern Baptist. And in 1976, there began to be a division between the evangelicals because there was a group that did not agree with his politics. Whether you do or you don't, I'm just gonna state a couple things. And in that time, one of the groups that began was the moral majority and the religious right. They said, you know what? You're not gonna use our term for your politics. And they began to have a campaign to use that term as involving Christian conservatism in the United States backed by the religious right and the moral majority. Whether you like that or not, doesn't matter. That's the facts, that's what happened. (laughs) And so this movement and also this popularization began with the growth of megachurches. And you see through this that the waters of the stream of the evangelical movement that in its purest place has been to be centered around the word, to be focused on the cross, to have its focus on Jesus and to live a life of activism through actions and words, that it's had somewhat of a rocky, rough past. And the stream flows in many directions. I'll confess that um, moving to Boulder County has been an interesting thing when it comes to this term. Because as I'm meeting my daughters, my daughters go to public school, well did, go to public school, and when I would meet them, my first reaction was not to go, hi, I'm an evangelical pastor. Because the term has meant so many things. And it's had so much baggage, hasn't it? Whether you find yourself to say, you know what, this is my tradition, or this is not my tradition, there are some incredibly beautiful things do we want to return to or grab a hold of? So I want to look for a little bit 
at the power of the stream. I think the thing we need, that I need to do, I won't put this on you, is I have to constantly remember that the message of Jesus is good news. Because many times when it's preached, it's a super bummer. Because what we do is try to convince people how bad they are instead of how good he is. I think today, could we allow the headwaters of this movement that flows from Jesus to remind us of what the angel declared as the first good news? And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I just bless you in this moment. Wherever you're at on your journey, that you may pause for a second and realize the good news of Jesus. That through who he is, he offers us redemption, reconciliation. He offers us the invitation of teshuva, which is to return. That we get to be in perfect relationship with God once again. How we are designed. Friends, it is good news. Yes, we fail. Yes, we fall. But the good news is he is greater than our failures. He is greater than our falling. And I bless you with that today that we return to this and that we allow that message of good news to flow through us. That the first thing on our lips when we meet people who don't know him, who have not encountered him, is it to remind them that they are the scum of the earth. But to remind them and let them know of how good he is, how graceful, filled, how pure and that he offers abundant, eternal life. The next thing we see, as I mentioned before, that today we allow ourselves to return to the centrality of the cross. The cross isn't just important, it is imperative. Because without the cross, I leave that open. But we see when Jesus is on the cross in John 19, 3, as he was about to give up his spirit, he breathed these last words and he said, it is finished. And what he was declaring is that the mission that began in Genesis, because in Genesis, when God is handing out the punishment after the fall, and he says, this is what's going to happen to you, Eve. This is what's going to happen to you, Adam. This is what's going to happen to you, serpent. He says these first words that are the first good news. And he said, and he's going to bruise his heel and crush his head. And what he was declaring is, I'm going to redeem this. And so Jesus, through the cross, redeems humanity back to God. And he declares in that moment, he says, it is finished. Paul writes, in Colossians, for in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
making peace by the blood of the cross. First Corinthians says, for word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. That today we return to the cross and we see the importance that we boldly enter into the presence of God through the cross of Jesus. And we know that the cross is not the end of the story. But three days later, he rose again, conquering sin and death. And so we move to this next part of the stream that is so powerful, and that is the powerful experience of new life. Jesus replied in John 3, 3, as he was speaking to Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again that there is a mysterious and spiritual experience that as we accept who Jesus is, and this is one of the things I have to confess, and I wish we could turn off the, 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 the recording so this isn't for all. I don't know if it is a moment or a process of conversion, and I'm just gonna leave that there. All I know is that he does it. Does that make sense? Many times we get so fixated on the, the mode, if we pray the right prayer, sometimes it is an event and sometimes it is a process. All I know is that it happens, that we are transformed to become more and more in the image of Jesus as the Spirit of God dwells within us. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ is reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In in Christ, God was reconciled to the world, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The radical teachings of those revivalists in the 1700s was taking the experience of God from something that was being far away and to be a personal experience with each person. And so we see this transformation. And I invite you right now to just pause for a moment. I'm giving you a lot of history, a lot of facts, a little bit of theology and a few jokes. But right now where you're at, do you realize that through Jesus you've been invited to have a personal experience with the living God, the one who was and is and is to come? personally encounter. Do you realize that right now that through Jesus you've been called a new creation? And because of him, you were born again and his spirit dwells within you. That spirit that hovered over the waters of creation like a hurricane because of Jesus lives in you.
Well, as we move to the final and the activism section, the power of this stream is the fact that it is a lived out message and mission. Jesus, as he was speaking to his disciples, after the resurrection, he says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The activism of the evangelical stream is the fact that all authority has been given to Jesus and now he extends that authority to us and says, hey, everything you've experienced, yeah, go live that out. Go talk about that. Let your words and your actions bring transformation to society through a smile and actually through political change. But live that out everywhere you go. And so my friends, as the band is coming and I, I share just a couple more thoughts. I am grateful to be a part of a community that has one river, but many streams. I'm grateful to be a part of a community that it's hard to explain what it's like. Where you need a paragraph and a story. But I'm grateful that we have these ability to explain these things, to say these are the traditions in which we're standing on. And unapologetically, Cornerstone stands on the tradition of the evangelical faith, the word-centered life. Because we wanna be a place that has a high view of scripture. We believe that the Bible is the inspired authority and the word of God. We believe that through the cross of Jesus, we are brought in and that we can have redemption and reconciliation with God through, the forgiveness, through faith and our forgiveness of sins. We believe that we can have an impersonal experience with him. And we also believe that we are to share this message with anyone and everyone. Now, obviously there are ditches to this movement and I don't even need to share them with you because you probably have experienced them. But there are pitfalls. We see through the history that it has a tendency to go to legalism, doesn't it? We see that it has a tendency to have a very narrow interpretation of how scripture needs to be interpreted. We also see that it has tendencies to get a bit separatist and militant. There is an arrogance that come to it. But we can put all of these things aside when we will return to the four things and which flow from Jesus and that's scripture, the cross, transformation, and a call to live out the gospel everywhere we go. And so as we close, I've already blessed you when I wanna bless you again. I bless you in the name of Jesus. That there's something inside of you that says, you know what, I want to have scripture be all it is. I want it to be more than just a book that I read in the morning so that good things happen the rest of the day. I want it to be more than just a, a book that I read at night to say sorry for what I've done. But I want it to be unleashed in my life that it is the Word of God and it is transforming me. I bless you that you may be reminded of the power of the cross in your life. 
I bless you that you may have continual experiences of being transformed into the image of Jesus. And because of all that, may you allow the flow of the word-centered life to flow through you, to share good news with those around you. I bless you with those things in Jesus' name. Amen.